Chapter 37 of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 37 May Day. Ere yet it was noon of that same day, to the great delight of Mrs. Sharp, a strong desire to fish arose in the candid bosom of Christopher. Mother, he said, I shall have a bit of early grub and take my rod and try whether i can't manage to bring you a few perch home for supper or if the perch are not taking yet i may have a chance of a trout or two oh that will be delightful kit we can dine whenever we please you know as your father is from home we will have the cold lamb at one o'clock i can easily make my dinner then and then kit if you are very good what do you think i will try to do such a treat as you hardly ever had what mother what i must be off to get my tackle ready my dear i will send to mr squeaker smith and order a nice light vehicle with a very steady pony and kit i will put on my very worst cloak and a bonnet not worth sixpence and stout india rubber overshoes and you shall drive me wherever you please and i will see you catch all the fish and you will enjoy every fish twice as much because your dear mother is looking at you i will bring some sandwiches my pet and your father's flask of sherry and we can stay out till it is quite dark why kit you don't look pleased about it mother how can i be pleased to hear you speak of such things at this time of year the spring is scarcely beginning yet and the edges of the water are all swampy you would be up to your knees in no time in the most horrible yellow slime i should be most delighted to have your company my dearest mother but it will not do very well kit you know best but at least i can have the ride with you and wait somewhere while you go fishing if i were going anywhere else perhaps we might have contrived it so but while the wind stays in the present quarter it is worse than useless to think of fishing except in the most outlandish places there would not even be a public-house if you could stop at such a place within miles of the water i am going to and the roads are beyond conception no wheels can get along them except at the very height of summer or a dry black frost my dear mother i am truly grieved to lose your company but i must ride the old cob sam and tie him to a tree or gate and over and over again you have told me how long you have been waiting for the chance of a good long afternoon to do a little shopping and the london fashions for the summer season arrived by the coach only yesterday did they indeed are you sure of that well kit i would rather have come with you than seen the whole world of fashions although you can judge and a lady cannot but i do not care about that my dear if only you enjoy yourself ring the bell my darling and i will see about your dinner kit's heart burned within him sadly and his cheeks kept it well in countenance as the shocking fraud thus practised by him upon his good unselfish mother however there was no help for it and after all mothers must be made to be cheated or why do they love it so thus well balanced with his conscience kit put all his smartest clothes on as soon as the early dinner was done and he felt quite sure in his own mind that his mother was safely embarked upon her grand expedition of shopping he saw her as clean as possible off the premises and round the utmost corner of the lane and then he waited for a minute and a half 
to be sure she had not forgotten her purse or something else most essential at last he became sure as sure could be that his admirable mother must now be sitting on a high chair in a fashionable shop and with that he ran up to his own room and kicked off his everyday breeches and with great caution and vast study drew a brand new pair of noble pantaloons with a military stripe up his well-nourished and established legs he gazed at the result and found that on the whole it was not bad and then he put on his best velvet waistcoat of a chaste spring pattern not too gaudy a waterfall tie with a turquoise pin and a cutaway coat of a soft bottle green completed him for the eyes of the public and for which he cared far more certain especially private eyes christopher feeling himself thus attired and receiving the silent approval of his glass stole downstairs in a very clever way and took from his own private cupboard a whip of white pellucid whalebone silver mounted and set with a large and radiant cairngorm pebble his mother had given him this on his very last birthday and he had never used it wisely fearing to be laughed at but now he tucked it under his arm and swaggering as he had seen hussars do turned into a passage leading to his private outlet hugging himself upon all his skill and feeling assured of grand success kit allowed his heels to clank and carried his head with an arrogant twist and so near a window where good light came in large quantity from the garden he marched into his mother's arms kit cried his mother and he said yes being unable to deny the truth his mother looked at him in his jaunty whip and particularly lively suit of clothes and she knew that he had been telling lies to her by the hundred or the bushel and she would have been very glad to scorn him if she could have helped being proud of him kit was unable to carry on any more in the way of falsehood he tried to look fierce but his mother laughed and he saw that he must knock under my dear boy she said for the moment daring to follow up her triumph is this the costume in which you go forth to fish in the most outlandish places with the yellow ooze above your knees and is that your fishing-rod oh kit come kit now you are caught at last my dear mother i have told you stories but i will leave off at last now there is not one instant to explain i have not so much as a moment to spare if you only could guess how important it is you would draw in your cloak in a moment you never shall know another single word unless you have the manners mother to pull in your cloak and let me go by kit you may go when you look at me like that you may as well do anything you have gone by your mother for ever so long or at any rate gone away from her with these words mrs sharp made way for her son to pass her and kit in reckless manner was going to take advantage of it then he turned back his face to say good-bye and his mother's eyes were away from him she could not look at him because she knew that her look would pain him but she held out her hand and he took it and kissed it and then he made off as hard as he could go mrs sharp turned back and showed some hankering to run after him and then she remembered what a laugh would arise and cross duck lane to see such sport and so she sighed a heavy sigh knowing how long she must have to wait and retired to her own thoughtful corner with no heart left for shopping but kit saw that now it was neck or nothing 
with best foot foremost he made his way through back lanes leading towards the conscientious obscurity of worcester college for beaumont street still abode in the future and skirting the coasts of jericho dangerously hospitable he emerged at last in broad st giles without a stone to prate of his whereabouts here he went into lively stables where he was well known and found the cob sam at his service for no university man would ride him even upon hobson's choice because of his ignominious aspect but kit knew his value and lasting powers and sagacious gratitude and whenever he wanted a horse trustworthy in patience obedience and wit he always took brown sam to sam it was a treat to carry kit because of the victuals ordered at almost every lenient stage and the grand largacy of oats and beans was more than he could get for a week in the stable and so he set forth with a spirited neigh on the kidlington road to cross the chairwell and make his way towards weston the heart of christopher burned within him whenever he thought of his mother but a man is a man for all that and cannot be tied to apron strings so kit shook his whip and a came going flashed in the sun and the spirit of youth did the same he was certain to see the sweet maid to-day knowing her manners and customs and when she was ordered forth for her mossy walk upon the margin of the wood the soft song hung in the light of the wood as if he were guided by the breeze and air and gentle warmth flowed through the alleys where the nesting pheasant ran little fluttering timid things that meant to be leaves please god some day but had been baffled and beaten about so that their faith was shrunk to hope little rifts of cover also keeping beauty coiled inside and ready to open like a bivalve shell to the pulse of summer-tide and then to be sweet blossom and the ground below them pressing upward with ambition of young green and the sky above them spread with liquid blue behind white pillows but these things are not well to be seen without just entering into the wood and in doing so there can be no harm with the light so inviting and the way so clear grace had a little idea that perhaps she had better stop outside the wood but still that walk was within her bounds and her orders were to take exercise and she saw some very pretty flowers there and if they would not come to her she had nothing to do but to go to them still she ought to have known that now things had changed from what they were as little as a week ago that a dotted veil of innumerable buds would hang between her and the good miss patch while many forward trees were casting quite a shade of mystery nevertheless she had no fear if anybody did come near her it would only be somebody thoroughly afraid of her for now she knew and was proud to know that kit was the prey of her bow and spear whether she cared for him or not was a wholly different question but in her dismal dullness and long wearisome seclusion the finest possible chance was offered for any young gentleman to meet her and make acquaintance of nature's doing at first she had kept this to herself in dread of conceit and vanity but when it outgrew accident she told aunt patch the whole affair and asked what she was to do about it thereupon she was told to avoid the snares of childish vanity to look at the back of her looking-glass and never dare to dream again that any one could be drawn by her her young mind had been eased by this although with a good deal of pain about it and it made her more venturesome to discover whether the whole of that superior estimate of herself was true 
whether she was so entirely vain or stupid whenever she looked at herself, and whether it was so utterly and bitterly impossible that anybody should come, as he said, miles and miles for the simple pleasure of looking for one or two minutes at herself. Grace was quite certain that she had no desire to meet anybody when she went into the wood. She hoped to be spared any trial of that sort. She had been told on the highest authority that nobody could come looking after her. The assertion was less flattering, perhaps, than reassuring. And, to test its truth, she went a little further than she meant to go. Suddenly, at a corner where the whole of the ground fell downward, and grass was overhanging grass so early in the season, and sapling shoots from the self-same stool stood a yard above each other, and down in the hollow a little brook sang of its stony troubles to the whispering reeds. Here, Grace Oglander happened to meet a very fine young man indeed. The astonishment of these two might be seen at a moment's glance to be mutual. The maiden, by gift of nature, was the first to express it, with dress and hand and eye. She showed a warm eagerness to retire, yet waited half a moment for the sake of proper dignity. Kit looked at her with a clear intuition that now was his chance of chances to make certain sure of her, if he could only now be strong and take her consent for granted, and so induce her to set seal to it. She never would withdraw, and the two might settle the rest at their leisure. He loved the young lady with all his heart, and beyond that he knew nothing of her, except that she was worthy. But she had not given her heart as yet, and with natural female common sense, she would like to know a great deal more about him before she said too much to him. Also in her mind, if not in her heart, there was a clear likeness of a very different man, a man who was a man in earnest and walked with a stronger and firmer step and lurked behind no corners. This path is so extremely narrow, Miss Oglander said with a very pretty blush, and the ground is so steep that I fear I must put you to some little inconvenience. But if I hold carefully by this branch, perhaps there will be room for you to pass. You are most kind and considerate, he answered as if he were in peril of a precipice. But I would not for the world give you such trouble, and I don't want to go any further now. It cannot matter in the least. I do assure you. But surely you must have been going somewhere. You are most polite, but I cannot think for a moment of turning you back like this. Then may I sit down? I feel a little tired, and the weather has suddenly become so warm. Don't you think it is very trying? To people who are not very strong, perhaps it is, but surely it ought not to be so to you. Well, I must not put all the blame upon the weather. There are so many other things much worse. If I could only tell you. Oh, I'm so very sorry, Mr. Sharp. I had no idea you had such troubles. It must be so sad for you while you are so young. Yes, I suppose many people call me young, and perhaps to the outward eye I am so. But no one except myself can dream of the anxieties that prey upon me. Christopher by this time was growing very crafty, as the above speech of his will show. The paternal gift was awakening within him, but softened by maternal goodness, so that it was not likely to be used with much severity. And now at the end of his speech he sighed, and without any thought laid his right hand on the rich heart of his velvet waistcoat, where beautiful forget-me-nots were blooming out of the willow leaves. 
and Grace could not help thinking how that trouble-worn right hand had been uplifted in her cause, and had descended on the rabbit-man. And although she was most anxious to discourage the present vein of thought, she could not suppress one little sigh, sweeter music to the ear of Kit than ever had been played or dreamed. Now, would you really like to know? Are you so wonderfully good? He continued with his eyes cast down and every possible appearance of his excessive misery. Would you, I mean, do your best not only not to be offended, but to pity and forgive me if, for rather supposing that I were to endeavor to explain what, what it is, who, who she is, no, I do not quite mean that. I scarcely know how to express myself. Things are too many for me. "'Oh, but you must not allow them to be so, Mr. Sharp. "'Indeed, you mustn't. "'I am sure that you must have a very good mother, "'from what you told me the other day. "'And if you have done any harm, "'though I scarcely can think such a thing of you, "'the best and most straightforward course "'is to go and tell your mother everything, "'and then it is so nice afterwards. "'Yes, to be sure, how wise you are. "'You seem to know almost everything.' I never saw any one like you at all. But the fact is that I am a little too old. I am obliged now to steer my own course in life. My mother is as good as gold, and much better. But she never could understand my feelings. Then come in and tell my dear old Aunt Patch. She's so virtuous, and she always never doubts about anything. She sees the right thing to be done in a moment, and she never listens to arguments. If you will only come in and see her, it might be such a relief to you. You seem to mistake me altogether, cried the young man with his patience gone. What good could any old aunts do me? Surely you know who it is that I want. How can I imagine that? Why, you! Only you! Only you, sweet Grace! I should like to see the whole earth swallowed up if only you and I were left together. Grace O'Glander blushed at the power of his words and pressure of his hand on hers. Then, having plenty of her father's spirit, she fixed her bright, sensible eyes on his face, so that he saw that he had better stop. I am afraid that it is no good, he said. I am very much obliged to you answered grace with her fair cheeks full of color and her hands drawn carefully back to her sides but will you be kind enough to stand up and let me speak for a moment i believe that you are very good and i may say very harmless and you have helped me in the very kindest way and i never shall forget your goodness ever since you came i am sure i have been glad to think of you and your dogs and your gun and your fishing rod reminded me of my father and I am very, very sorry that what you have just said will prevent me from thinking any more about you, or coming anywhere into any kind of places where there are trees like this again. I ought to have done it, at least, I mean, I never ought to have done it at all, but I did think that you were so nice, and now you have undeceived me. I know who your father is very well, although I have seldom seen him, and though I dislike the law, I declare, that would not have mattered very much to me. But you do not even know my name, as several times you have proved to me. 
and how you can ride thirty miles from oxford in all sorts of weather without being tired and your dog so fresh has always been a puzzle to me thirty miles from oxford christopher sharp cried in great amazement for in the very lowest condition of the heart figures will maintain themselves yes thirty miles or thirty leagues sometimes i hear one thing and sometimes the other where you are standing now is about seven miles and three-quarters from summertown gate surely mr sharp you are laughing at me how far am i from beckley then according to your calculation did, how did you ever hear of beckley it is quite a little village a miserable little place indeed then it is not it is the very finest place in all the world or at any rate the nicest and the dearest and the prettiest but how can you just come from america have such an opinion of such a little hole a little hole why it stands on a hill you never can have been near it if you think of calling it a hole and as for my coming from america you seem to have no geography i have never been further away from darling beckley to my knowledge than i am now kit sharp looked at her with greater amazement than that with which she looked at him and then with one accord they spied a fat man coming along the hollow and trying not to glance at them with keen young instinct they knew that this villain was purely intent upon watching them come again if you please to-morrow said grace while pretending to gaze at the clouds you have told me such things that i never shall sleep come earlier and wait for me not that you must think anything only that now you are bound as a gentleman to go on with what you were telling me End of chapter thirty seven